faith. What if what you believe to be true about faith isn't actually true at all? What if what you were told was true about faith is not actually true at all? What if misheld beliefs about faith that you may have, what if it could be undermining and sabotaging your faith? What if the reason that some of us may be discouraged, disillusioned, frustrated with our faith, what if that's connected to the fact that we think some things are true about faith that are not actually true? What if the reason that you feel like you're losing faith, or some of you would not even say that you've lost your faith. What, what if the reason that you are considering walking away or you've already walked away from faith, what if the reason is because you believe some things to be true about faith that aren't actually true at all, and they're actually hurting you rather than helping you? Well, last week uh, we started this series called Sandcastles and we're talking about beliefs uh, that you shouldn't build your life upon because when you build your beliefs on things that you think are true that are not true, eventually those beliefs like sandcastles will collapse under the weight of real life. And that's the reason I want us to talk about faith today because faith is a really, really big deal. Uh, you know that faith is a big deal. Even if you're not a Christian, you know that faith is a big deal. Uh, you've been around enough Christians, you've sat in church enough to know that, hey, faith, it's kind of central, it's, it's kind of core. Uh, matter of fact, when you open up the scriptures, the one thing you're gonna find is that scriptures talk a lot about faith. Uh, you can't really start reading the scriptures without you find the scriptures in some way starts pointing us to faith, talking about faith, defining faith, illustrating faith. Uh, but the scriptures talk a lot about faith because faith is a really big deal. The scriptures say that we should walk by faith, right? You've heard that before, whatever that means. Walk by faith and not by sight because that's what you're supposed to do as a person of faith. You walk by faith and not by sight. The scriptures say that without faith, now think about this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now that feels important. If I can't please God and you can't please God without faith, the scriptures say without faith, we can't please God, then that is absolutely a big deal. I should care about faith. The scriptures say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ or the word of God. So apparently if I want more faith, I just need to hear the words of God because when I hear the words of God, it in some way brings about faith inside my heart. So I get faith by the words of God. That's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that I'm saved by grace through faith. That absolutely sounds like a big deal. I'm saved by grace through faith. That's how I come to a right relationship with God. The scriptures say that faith without works is actually dead because if you say you have faith but you never do anything with it, the scriptures teach that you don't have faith at all. It's a, it's a dead faith, it's not a living faith because faith without works is dead. The scriptures say that Jesus is the author and the finisher, the pioneer or perfecter of our faith. That means that our faith, your faith, if you follow Jesus, it begins and ends with Jesus because faith is a really big deal. And speaking of Jesus, not only does the scriptures, you know, talk a lot about faith, but Jesus talked a lot about faith while he was on the earth. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of, I bet you've heard this before, the size of a mustard seed, right? You've heard that. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, this is incredible, think about this. 
You can look at a mountain and say, mountain, be removed into the sea, and the mountain will be removed into the sea. That's a tall claim. That, that seems like a very big promise. If you have faith the size of a little bitty mustard seed, you can look at a mountain and say, mountain, be moved, and you can move mountains because of faith. Jesus would say, nothing is impossible for the man or the woman, the boy or the girl who has faith. Jesus would go through communities and he would look at people and he would say, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Jesus would look at some people and say, your faith has healed you. What does that mean? Your faith has healed you. You read through the biographies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's as though Jesus celebrated big faith and criticized little faith. He celebrated big faith, but he criticized little faith. But then, then there is this, this thing that Jesus said, which I think is the most perplexing of all. It's challenging, it's inspiring, it's motivating, it's troublesome, it's confusing, it's uncertain, but yet it feels like it's something so positive and certain all at the same time. Jesus said, whatever you ask, Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, you will receive it if you have, wait for it, faith. Really? Whatever? Anything? Whatever you ask, whatever I ask in his name, we will receive it if we believe it. So faith is obviously a very big deal. The scriptures talk about it. Jesus talked about it. You've heard lots of sermons about it. You know, you sing songs about it. You've read books about it. But, but here, here's my question to you. What does all of that talk about faith actually mean? What do all those verses actually mean? What does all the things that Jesus said about faith actually mean? And then here's my follow-up question to that. Does it matter what you believe to be true or not true about faith? Does it matter what I believe to be true or not true about faith? And since it's my time of the service and I've got the microphone and you don't, it's my sermon and not yours, I'm gonna say, I think it does. I think it matters what you think about faith because it could be hurting you. It could be undermining and sabotaging your faith. If you think some things are true about faith that are not true about faith, you might actually end up walking away from faith. And I don't want that for you and God doesn't want that for you and nobody wants that for you. So I think it does matter, especially if you believe some things about faith that are not true that could actually undermine your faith. I think it is a really, really big deal. That's why I wanna talk about one, one of the big misconceptions, maybe one of the largest misconceptions about faith that I think exists. And I think there's all kinds of derivatives that come underneath this. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions that flow out of this and connect back to this. But, but here's the misconception of faith that I wanna talk about today that I think a lot of people believe to be true about faith. And you might not even know that you believe this about faith, but you kind of live like you believe that this is true about faith, or you kind of talk like you believe this is true about faith sometimes. But, but here's one of the misconceptions I think that exists out there. Faith can fix anything. A lot of people seemingly by the way they live and by the way they talk and by the sermons we hear and the songs we write and books we you know write, Sometimes it seems as though there is this belief about faith that says faith can fix anything. And someone's thinking, you mean it doesn't? 
But there's a lot of people who believe this, that faith can fix anything. And so, you know, kind of how the storyline goes that we've heard along the way, many of us, is that no matter what you're going through and no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what the problem is and no matter what the challenge is, the answer is faith. After all, Jesus said that whatever you ask in my name, you will receive it if you have faith. After all, the scriptures say that to the person who has faith, nothing will be impossible. Jesus said, if you have faith, just a little bitty sized mustard seed faith, you can move a mountain. So the idea, the conception started to be that faith can fix anything. There's nothing that faith can't fix. There's nothing that faith can't change. And so then we started giving people advice and people started giving us advice and it just happened to be bad bad advice. And we were told advice like this, just have faith. Just have faith. We would tell somebody our problem. We would tell somebody what we're going through and they would say, hey, just have faith. You, you, You just need faith. Have faith and it will work out. You you just need to believe, you you just need to have faith and if you have faith, it'll work out and the implication being, if you don't have faith, it won't work out. But if you have faith, things will change. If you have faith, things will get better. And so you heard someone talk about claiming something by faith and you didn't even know how to do that, but they said you could claim it by faith, whatever it is that you need to happen, you could claim it by faith, receive it, and it's gonna be done for you. And then one of our modern day theologians, you know, George Michael, he said, you just gotta have faith. (laughs) Faith, faith. And so that's how you tried to live your Christian experience, right? Real life happened and there were bills to pay. You had more bills coming in than you had income coming in. You were upside down. You'd made some bad choices. You'd had a couple of bad breaks. Some deals went south and all of a sudden there's bills to pay, there's financial problems. And you tried to have faith and you had faith and you believed and you claimed. There was marriage problems and she wasn't what you thought she was gonna be and he wasn't what you thought he was gonna be and marriage was not what you thought it was gonna be and and you were just having faith that it was gonna get better. You had faith that it was gonna change, right? Just have faith, have faith and it'll work out. Someone you loved, had cancer and you were watching them suffer and waste away to nothing and there you were, as hard as you possibly could, you were trying to have faith. You were believing, you were claiming, you were asking, you were praying. There you were addicted. No one knew you were addicted to alcohol. No one knew you were addicted to the painkillers. But you were asking, you were believing, you had faith. Someone told you if you had faith, you could lay it down. Someone told you if you had faith, you could walk away. Someone told you if you had faith, the chains would be broken. You had a secret sin no one knew about, secret struggle you couldn't tell anyone about. And you believed. You believed that you could lay it down. You believed that it was not gonna define you. You believed that it was gonna be part of your past and not your future. You had faith. Maybe you're a middle school student, a high school student, your parents divorced, and you had faith that mom was coming back home, and you had faith that dad was gonna come back home, and you had faith that God was gonna put the family back together again. Then something happened. You had faith, and nothing happened. 
Faith seemed to have failed. You had faith, instead of getting things getting better, things got worse. You prayed, but the note of foreclosure came anyway. They knocked on your door one day and they took the keys. And you answered the door that day with faith. You prayed that God would heal them. You believed God would. You claimed it, you believed, you did everything you thought someone told you you needed to do. And they died anyway. You're still addicted. You're still struggling with the same thing years later. And mom and dad never came home. You had faith and nothing happened. You know why? Let me tell you why. Because faith isn't magic. Faith isn't magic. And when we prayed and when we claimed and we quoted chapter and verse, and we did everything we thought that we were supposed to do, that we could do to make things get fixed, to make things get better, they didn't get better. And in that moment, here's what happened. We realized there was a problem. Some of us thought the problem was with our faith. We didn't believe enough. We didn't have good enough faith. We didn't have pure enough faith. We must have had sin somewhere in our life. We must have had doubt somewhere in our heart. And we thought the problem was our faith. And a few of us, we thought the problem was faith. It's not real. It's not legitimate. But the one thing that both people are right about, there was a problem. And the problem started when we heard Christians around us and sermons preached and things said and bits and pieces and pull it here and pull it there. And then we tried to construct what we believed to be true about faith and not true about faith from what we heard and from different sources and different places. And we heard people talk about faith and when people, when Christians and preachers, they talked about faith, it was though faith was a force. And they'd even do sounds with the microphone. It was force. And the force of faith could move what needed to be moved. The force of faith could move the mountain. It was a force, it was a power that could change anything. We heard people talk about faith and faith was like a wall, it was a hedge. It was protective and God kept the bad out and God kept the good in and the curse out and the blessing in. And if we had strong enough faith, the wall got taller. And if we had strong enough faith, the wall got thicker. For some of us, we heard people talk about faith and it seemed as though that we could coax God, solicit God, trick God into doing what we wanted him to do because of our faith. That faith could somehow force God's hand, that we could force God to act, that we could change the mind of omniscience with our faith. That we prayed about it and God said no. We prayed about it again, God said no. We went back and got more faith and God said, ah, got me, yes. <laughs> that's how some of us have lived and that's how some of us have processed Faith, that's not faith, that's magic. Paganism celebrated magic because magic could make the gods perform the people's will. That's what magic was all about. It was about getting the gods to do my will. 
And that's how some of us have approached faith. Faith makes God our puppet. We put him on a string and we put God in a box and God becomes our genie and God becomes our insurance. But if we're honest, here's the fact of the matter. Magic-like faith ultimately becomes a means to an end. Our end. It becomes all about us. It becomes, God, do this for me. Make my life easier. Fix this. Remove this. Give me that. And faith becomes a means to an end, our end, what we think is the better end. The problem is, and it is a problem, the problem is we don't find that type of scripture, you know, we don't find that type of faith in scripture. An honest reading of the scripture reminds us that faith does not promise a happy ending in this life. And anyone who would tell you otherwise is not telling you the entire truth. Faith does not promise you nor me a happy ending in this life. We read the scriptures and oftentimes the faithful, things didn't get fixed and things didn't get better. Oftentimes the people who had the most faith, things didn't get fixed at all. And a lot of times things got worse. So the challenge is, is to read through the scriptures and oftentimes the scriptures presents this idea of faith in like puzzle pieces. And we take a piece of the puzzle here and a piece of the puzzle there. And we try to put it together so that it presents us the portrait of what true, genuine faith really is. Balanced, robust, and ultimately an idea of faith that doesn't undermine or sabotage our faith. And I think instead of starting in the old scriptures, the Old Testament Jewish scriptures, I think you just start in the New Testament and I think you just look at the people closest to Jesus and you learn a lot about faith. You learn a lot about the reality, the unstated reality. I could have brought you in this morning. I could have got you fired up, motivated, inspired. Talk about faith, talk about moving mountains, talk about whatever you ask. We'll all leave thinking the glass is not just half full, it's full. And we're all feeling good. We're all full of it, faith. Right? We would leave and we'd be pumped up, fired up, excited until real life come. Or real life came at us when we least expected it. Just look at the people closest to Jesus. Think about John the Baptist. That was Jesus' cousin, right? You may not like your cousins, but I think Jesus liked his cousins, right? And, and what is life all about? We, we know this. We say this all the time. Life, life's all about who you know. I'll tell you, it's all about who you know, brother. You know how it works. It's a good old boys club. It's who you know. It's true. John knew Jesus. He was in Jesus's family. When they got together for that boring family reunion every year outside Jerusalem, outside of Nazareth, John and Jesus right there. They were family. Surely being connected to the family of Jesus would have perks. Surely there would be advantages to that because who you know can get you access. Hey, I know somebody. Come on. I got a pass. Who you know can get you a job? Who you know can get you a favor done? John was Jesus' cousin. Matter of fact, he was the one, again, who said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John was the one who baptized Jesus. That's a big deal. Right? It's the only thing you'd need to put on your resume after that. Watch your qualifications. Baptize Jesus. John helped, you know, kickstart the public ministry of Jesus. 
You know, John would say this, hey, all of you people who've been following me, now follow him. I got to decrease, he's got to increase. And then they came to John, you know, one day probably and said, John, your numbers are going down. Attendance are down. Baptisms are down. And he'd look at them and say, well, I don't care. I baptized Jesus. <laughs> you know that Jesus guy? All mine. All mine. And so Jesus, you know, had all these new followers. John's over here. He's doing his little ministry up and down the Jordan River. He, he gets infatuated with what's happening in the royal's house. So he starts preaching against the royals. And you know when you start preaching against the royals, it never goes well for you. Royals don't like to be preached at. So he started preaching at the royals of his day because there was some hanky-panky going on in the palace. They didn't like it. And so he got thrown in prison. John, Jesus' cousin, thrown in prison. Now, Jesus could have went and visited John while he was in prison because he was there for a couple years you know, before you know, John reached out to talk to Jesus. So for two years... We have no record of Jesus ever reaching out to his cousin, to his family, to his friend, to the guy that kick-started his ministry. And there John is, he's in prison. That's where faith has landed him in jail. And something begins to happen, and I don't know, but perhaps, maybe, John had a misunderstanding about faith. Because while he was in prison, his circumstances began to erode his faith like water erodes a sandcastle. He's in jail. He's not heard from Jesus. He's in jail. He was the guy who announced Jesus. So his faith began to erode. He, he began to not be able to make sense of what he was going through versus what he thought was true about Jesus. And so his faith began to erode. And so he sent two of his guys to Jesus and said, go ask Jesus a question. Go ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or should I begin to look for another he began to question everything. He was losing faith. He was thinking about walking away from faith. He didn't even believe entirely anymore what he said about Jesus that day, about him being the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. His circumstances, where faith had landed him, had actually undermined and began to erode his faith. And so the messengers come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, John, you know, he's in prison. He's your cousin. We've noticed you've not been there. So John has a question for you. Are you the Messiah or should he look for another? Jesus, he just speaks back and he says, you go tell John that those who are blind are now seeing, that those who are deaf are now hearing, that the lepers are being cleansed, the poor, they're hearing the good news and the dead is being raised alive. That's what you need to go tell John. And they left. And as soon as they walked out of hearing, Jesus turned to his followers. And this is what he said. Truly, I tell you, among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And if you had been there and if I'd been there, I think we would have thought the same thing that the disciples probably thought. Um, you meant he used to be the greatest. Because... You know, he doesn't even know if he believes in you anymore. He's doubting you, Jesus. His circumstances has totally eroded his faith. He, he's barely holding on by a string. You meant he used to be the greatest, but Jesus speaks in present. He is the greatest born of woman. Even when he was doubting, even when his faith was eroding, even when he had an unhealthy idea of faith, Jesus said, there has not been one person any greater 
ever been born than John the Baptist. Woo. And you know what Jesus did after he said that? He went to the dungeon where John was. He kicked open the door. He rescued John, took him upstate Israel, put him by the beach and let him retire. For some of you who have not been reading your Bible, you're like, wow, that's awesome. That's incredible. Yes. That's the Jesus I like. No, that's not what happened. Jesus never went to go visit John nor did he set him free. So here's my question. Could Jesus have set John free if he wanted to? Of course he could. Did he? No, he didn't. Even though John was the greatest of all, perhaps who had even had the greatest faith of all, Jesus did not intervene. Jesus did not involve himself. And I think that there's something to learn about faith from that. And I think we should pay attention to that. So that's John the Baptist. Then there's this guy in the New Testament that we know as the Apostle Paul, who was a Jesus hater turned follower of Jesus. He was chosen by God, and that sounds like a big deal. He was chosen by God to take the message of Jesus basically to the Roman Empire, to help spread Christianity all over the Mediterranean rim of the empire. So we're talking about a guy, first team all empire, first team all Jesus. I mean, he is captain of the team. He is aggressive. He is smart. He is top A. He is like the man with the plan. He is Paul. He used to be a bad boy. Now he's a good boy. I mean, he's got a great story. He's got a great sermon. He, I mean, this is, this is Paul. Paul was writing a letter and said, let me tell you a little bit about my life since I came to faith. Let me tell you what all's happened to me because of faith. We're gonna look at 2 Corinthians 11 in week seven of this series, but in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, because of my faith, I have been flogged five times. I have been beaten with rods three times. I have been stoned and I have been left for dead. I have been shipwrecked three times. Time out, after the second time, why are you getting on a boat? If I was part of Paul's posse, <laughs> after the second time, and he says, hey, guys, it's time to get back on the boat again. <laughs> I'm swimming. I'm going to end up swimming anyway. I'm just going to swim, right? Shipwrecked three times. If we'd been there, if that had been us, we would have been so mad and angry and confused about God to say, God, don't you know what I'm trying to do? Don't you know where I'm trying to take this boat to? I'm not going on vacation. I'm going on your mission. So what's up with the shipwreck? I've been bitten by a snake after I shipwrecked. I've been hunted by bandits. And there have been many times in my life since I came to faith that I have lacked food and water and proper clothing and shelter. And oh, by the way, I've got this horrible thorn that I can't pray it away. This, this thing that terrorizes me, this thing that it is a cloud over me that I've asked God to take it away, take it away, take it away. And God won't take it away. That was an all-star. That was like the man, Paul. And then Paul, thinking about all of this, he, he wrote a letter to the Philippians and he said this about all of that. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, all of that stuff, has actually served to advance the gospel. There, there was something about Paul's faith that was unlike John's faith. 
Even though John was the best that had ever been born of woman, according to Jesus, John, he, he confused his circumstances and his faith together. In his circumstances, he wrote it his faith, but Paul wasn't like that. Paul did not confuse his life with God. He did not confuse circumstances with God. Paul looked at everything that had happened to him and he said, you know what, if I could have chosen another way, I would have chosen another way. If I was in charge, I wouldn't have done it that way. I didn't like it, it was painful, it was hurtful. But I see that God used it. I see that God brought good out of it. And no wonder Paul would be the one to write in Romans 8, 28, that I believe that God can take whatever it is and work it for good. That God can take out of the ashes and make beauty. God can take your mourning and he can turn it to dancing. And Paul looks back and says, you know what? All that stuff, even though I didn't want to go through it, and I even prayed about not going through it, I see that God used it. And there have been people who have been benefited because of it. That's Paul. And I think there's something to learn from that. I think that perhaps we can learn that whatever's happened in our lives, that we can either respond like John and allow circumstances to erode our faith, or we can be like Paul and understand that this is horrible, this is terrible, that life is unfair and sometimes bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, but that's just kind of life and that's what happens. But yet we can look beyond the immediate context to the broader context to say, you know what? God used that and it has actually been used for good. There's probably something in there for us to learn about faith from the apostle Paul. Then there's James, the brother of Jesus. Now, if being the cousin of Jesus doesn't get you much, surely being the brother of Jesus gets you something. But James was a skeptic. He didn't believe his brother was the savior. Didn't believe his brother was the Lord until after he knew his brother had died and was buried. He saw his mother brokenhearted because her other son was dead. And then he became an eyewitness of Jesus after the resurrection. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Jesus, he believed was the Messiah. He was the brother of the Lord and believed his brother was the Lord. So James went from thinking that Jesus was crazy to everybody around James thinking James was crazy because who thinks their brother is Lord? Who thinks their brother is the son of God? You don't, your parents may, but you don't. My brother is the son of God. Exactly. <laughs> And then James, he becomes a leader in the church. He becomes a pastor. He becomes a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the poorest church that we find in the book of Acts, basically. It was believed that most likely he was like his congregants. He was extremely poor himself. He was hated by the religious establishment, just like his brother. And then all of a sudden, there, there was a break in Roman leadership and Festus, the Roman governor, he died. And in between leadership, between Festus and Albinus, Ananus, the high priest, decided that he would take James, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, out. And he gave the order. He put out the hit and had him stoned to death. That was James. The brother of Jesus, stoned to death. Do you think that in the moment, if he had faith to wave the stone away, that he would have? Do you think in the moment that if he could have reversed the stones in the other direction, he would have? But before he died, James 
wrote to Christians just like us, and this is what he said. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, why? Because you know that the testing of your, talk to me, faith produces perseverance. In other words, here's what James, the brother of Jesus believed. (laughs) When it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good, consider it good. When it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good, consider it good because what doesn't look good and what doesn't feel good can actually be good for your faith. I don't like that. What does that mean? What does that mean I'm gonna have to go through? What does that mean I'm gonna have to face? We don't like that. What doesn't look good and what doesn't feel good can actually be good for my faith because if my faith gets tested and it gets stretched, it can become stronger. And here's what James says, he says, so let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Because God can work through your circumstances to work in you, to work through you, to develop a faith inside of you that honors him, benefits you, and inspires others. Let faith have its day of testing. Let it have its season of testing because in doing so, God is gonna develop a faith in you and in me that honors him, benefits us, and inspires others. So don't try to drink this testing away. Don't try to self-medicate this testing away. Don't divorce it away. Don't go hide from it. Let it work its intended purpose concerning your faith. So maybe you're still asking, well, then what is faith? God knew you would ask. God knew that I would ask. And God knew that sometimes we're not good at pulling the pieces of the puzzle together and putting it all to form a cohesive picture. So someone, we don't even know their name, could have been a guy, could have been a woman, wrote the book of Hebrews. And here's what the writer of Hebrews said. You want to know what faith is? Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What did John have in prison though it was eroding? He had confidence. He had assurance that what he hoped was true about Jesus was true about Jesus. What did Paul possess? It was a confidence that what he hoped was true about Jesus was actually true. It was an assurance, even though he couldn't see it and verify it completely. In other words, faith. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is or that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do and living my life accordingly. Now, let me take it a step further. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do even if it does not happen in my lifetime. God does not require our heartbeat in order to fulfill a promise to us. Some of God's promises are so big. Some of God's promises are so wonderful. They will not be fulfilled in my lifetime nor your lifetime. But faith lives as though God will keep all of those promises in this lifetime. And faith dies believing that even though God has not kept that promise, we will take our last breath still believing that God will keep his promise. We will live accordingly and we will die accordingly. 
Whether I see it or not does not determine whether I believe it or not because we walk by faith and not by sight. So the writer of Hebrews, he goes to town after Hebrews 11, one. He starts giving example after example after example from the Old Testament. He talks about Abraham and Sarah and Enoch and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all the heroes of faith and all the men and women we celebrate because it seemed like faith worked out for them. First team off faith, prayers got answered. Big things happened, things got fixed. And he goes example after example after example after example. And then I, I think he feels like I feel right now. He was running out of time and he needed to get to the point of what he was trying to say. And so he, he gets through all of those examples and he says, okay, what more shall I say? I don't have the time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and about David and Samuel and all the prophets. I can tell you about all that. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, women who received back their dead, raised to life again. Can I get a witness? Amen. Hallelujah. By faith. Everybody's thinking, sign me up. Because when I think about faith, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about turning armies to flight. I'm thinking about walking through the fire, not being burned. I'm thinking about walking through the water, not being drowned. That's what I've got. That's what I want. Give me that type of faith. Woo. But the writer isn't finished yet. There were others. Oh, there's the ones you've heard about. Abraham and Joseph and David and Gideon. There's the people that you know about, but there are others that you don't know about. There were others that you don't know their name. There were others you don't know their stories. There were others that no one wrote about. There were others that no one knew about. There were others in the darkness of night that no one could see. There were others down in a basement somewhere. There were others in a dungeon somewhere. There were others picking up the broken pieces. There were others lying in the ashes that you don't know their name. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. There were others, and the writer says, the world was not worthy of them. They were tortured and they didn't quit. They were stoned and they didn't quit. They were flogged and they didn't quit. They were in prison and they didn't quit. They saw their best friend ran through with a sword, but they didn't quit. They were poor, but they didn't quit. They suffered unimaginable horrors 
they didn't quit. They didn't confuse life with God. They didn't assume their circumstances reflected how God felt about them. There were others that it didn't work out for. There were others that faith didn't seem to fix it for them. And he says, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something far better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God was doing something that was bigger than their lifetime. They would die without the answer to the promise, but that was not the end. God would keep his promise. Faith is believing God can change my circumstances. That's what faith is. And the good news is he can. God can do anything. God is the God of the impossible. Faith is believing God can change my circumstances and faith is trusting God even when he doesn't. Trusting that he loves me, that he has a plan, that he's working things out for good even though it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good. I'm trusting that his will is greater than my will, more informed than my will. Faith is believing that God can, but it's also trusting even if he doesn't. Faith is believing when things are bad, God is still good, even if they get worse. Because some, your faith will have a story of it got fixed, it got better. But for some of us, our faith will not be the thing that fixes it and we will have unanswered prayer and life will be unfair and no one will write about our spectacular story. Hebrews ends with this encouragement to place and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. And the Hebrew writer says, consider him who endured such hostility of sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose faith. Jesus stepped into his own creation and he took his own medicine. He knew the pain of an unfair life. He knew the pain of betrayal. He even knew the pain of unanswered prayer when he said, Father, please let this cup pass from me. And it did not. But he said, nevertheless, your will be done. What kind of faith are you praying to have? A faith to be healed? Why not also pray for the faith not to be healed? Why don't we pray for a faith that says, God, I believe that you can fix it. And a faith that also trusts even decides not to. A two-handed faith. I believe God can, but I'm going to trust him even if he doesn't. Because faith isn't receiving the things from God we want as much as it is learning to receive from God the things that we don't want. A two-handed Father, speak. 
where we are and what we need to hear, let us hear. What we don't need to hear, let us filter it out. God, let us pray for a full understanding of faith and let us pray for a faith that believes that you can and a faith that trusts you even if you do not. God, let us have that type of faith. Let us have the faith that says, I believe I can be healed. And faith that says, even if I don't get healed, I believe that you're gonna work good out of it. And I believe even if I don't see the promise fulfilled in this life, it will happen. I believe it, that you are who you say you are. You will do what you say you will do. Every last promise and help us to live accordingly. And one day, help us to die accordingly in Jesus' name. Let's remain seated for just a moment. And let's let God speak to us and let us hear what we need to hear in this moment.